When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Craven Cottage, make some noise for the team of the Fulhamish Podcast! It's the Fulhamish Podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC. My name's Sammy James. Welcome to the show. What a scorcher it was yesterday in Wolverhampton. But things weren't so white hot on the pitch. A nil-nil draw with chances not a plenty. However, Fulham did have one big opportunity to steal the three points up in the black country. But Alexander Mitrovic fluffed his lines from the spot and Fulham had to settle for a point. But we'd all have taken a point before the game, wouldn't we, really? Two points from two, a solid start to the Premier League. Uh, And I'm joined by three gents who have all decided to wear white T-shirts, including myself. We look like some sort of rogue barbershop quartet that have met up for a rehearsal. Uh, Starting off with Adam Vakarsen, where would you be in a barbershop quartet? Bass, middle or treble? Yeah, Yeah, I'm definitely the bass notes in this. Uh, Farrell Monk, where would you be? Like I am on the football field, just place me anywhere. I'm just happy to be involved, really. Fine, and making his debut on Fulhamish, Paul Cooper, hello. Hello, Sammy. Thank you for joining. You'd definitely, you'd definitely be in the base, wouldn't you? Yeah, definitely the base, yeah. In fact, Adam- lower than base, if there is such a thing. Base <laughs> men, yeah. I don't exactly know what the uh, what the positions are in a barbershop quartet. I'm sure there is um, a, a formation that they have, but maybe I need to be educated in these things. Yeah, probably. I'll get swatting up. Anyway, let's get into some three-word reviews from yesterday's game. Adam, what were the best ones that came in? Perfect. So we've got Archie, friend of the pod, with Mitro's off fire. And then slightly different to that, we've got Hutchie 100 with everyone's on fire, which I know you three (laughs) lads struggled with the heat yesterday. I was lucky to be watching it from home. Uh, We've got Fabian, Fab Fulham with injury crisis shows. Alex Pure Power with a bit heated, which is a bit of an understatement. And then we've got Matt Pollard with Molyneux, we draw. Okay. Yeah, very good. I like that last one. That's quite clever. It took me a couple of seconds to get it, which is always a good sign of a three-word review. Um, Farrell, let's come on to the day out. I have never been that hot at a football game. I feel like that's always quite a common topic at pubs. When's the coldest you've ever been at a football match? What's the hottest you've ever been at a football match? It will take some doing. I would probably have to go watch a football match in Saudi Arabia or something in the height of summer to be hotter than I was yesterday. That Steve Bullstand was scorching. And and if I ever think back to this game, I'm not sure I'll remember Mitro's penalty. I'm not sure I'll remember the fact that Tosin and uh, Rodak collided to give um, Wolves one of the most calamitous goals of all time. I will just remember how hot I was for 90 minutes. I don't think I've ever had a conversation about a football game in the lead up to an away game going, I wonder where the sun is in comparison to where the away bit is. 
And I remember optimistically saying, as the well, just before the game kicks off, saying to you maybe that, oh, don't worry, I think the sun might go behind the stand for the second half. And it was absolutely nowhere near going behind the stand. So we were absolutely bathed in the sunshine for the entirety of that match. And yeah, it, there was no escape from it. And just to sort of elevate it a little bit more, the person who was probably the most despised person at the game yesterday was whoever decided to have the flamethrowers on at Molyneux to just warm everyone up just that little bit more. The absolute intensity of that fire. It must look really good at night, but not in the height of summer, not on a day like that. Surely someone must have had a word going, should we Should we not have the flamethrowers there? Yeah, yeah, let, let's, let's not do that. Nope. There was not even a discussion. They went ahead with it. We all got singed uh, eyebrows from it. Thanks very much, Wolves. Yeah, Paul, I was just wondering what punishment you think that the person that decided to put the flamethrowers on at Wolves yesterday deserves because it was honestly one of the most horrific things I've ever been through. It just kept going as well. Like they tested it a few times before the game. I was like, oof, that's hot. And then it just kept going and going and going. And I just can't get over the absurdity of choosing to do that. Yeah, just extraordinary. I mean, it was like being at a heavy metal uh, concert. In, in fact, every single Wolves supporter looks like a heavy metal fan. Uh, and yes. I just, you know, especially with a bald head, I had to put my T-shirt on my head. And um, for the first time, actually, this is a first, was I, I've got sunburnt nipples. So I was desperately <laughs> seeking the Lily's stickers but couldn't find them. So uh, they're, they're, on, they're at every service station all the way up from London. But they weren't on my nipples, and I, yeah, I was suffering. I was suffering. I, now I know, you know, what it's like. It was extraordinary. I mean, we saw you at halftime, Paul, shirts off, and uh, did not blame you. I have not got the confidence uh, to pull it off, but I, I wished I was doing the same. Although, actually, I just don't think there was enough sunblock going around for me to uh, to brave it. It was extraordinary but you know we're talking about like we weren't watching um 22 players on that having to actually play football on a pitch and run around we just had to stand in it um for 90 minutes adam and it was a weird game i can't work out whether i'm happy with a point bit disappointed with a point i guess that when you miss a late penalty you're always going to be i think on the balance of play wolves probably shaded it and they did miss some big chances uh, to get the three points, particularly in the first half, the amount of openings they made, especially in that opening 10 minutes where they just seemed to break our lines very, very easily um, was slightly alarming after the amazing defensive display we saw against Liverpool. I think we started off the game, how we wanted to continue in the fact of, you know, high pressing um and you know, quick tempo. Unfortunately, the problem was, is you know, as, as you guys found with the heat, it was it was just too hot to keep that up for either team. But what we did find is they exposed us down the left hand side alarmingly uh, amount of times. In the fact that you know, Anthony Robinson was playing really well for I'd probably say the start of the game, but defensively, both him and Kenny Tete were getting exposed. Um, I actually found that every time Wolves got in down our right-hand side as well, Kenny Tete had already made his way up the pitch. He just he couldn't get back in time for them as well. So I think actually, strangely, considering we weren't playing Liverpool this week, we needed to take a slightly more defensive approach uh, from the wing-backs in this game. Well, I'm, I'm still surprised they didn't score from any of those chances. I think that we were kept in the game 
largely by Rodak and Tim Ream. Um, you know, really keeping things at bay. I can't believe we're at this stage of the season. I'm, I'm saying Tim Ream is is a fairly decent starting centre back for us at this point in time. Um, we'll come on to discuss that, but I I thought that he really kept us in the game alongside Rodak. Tosin covers for maybe his misdemeanours in defence with a lot of pace. I'm still unsure how he's as quick as he is, but most of the game was played with us on the back foot. But whenever we did attack as well, there were still chances for us to score. I just it felt like a game where neither team really had the, I don't know, finisher is the wrong word because we've obviously got Alexander Mitrovic, but an actual finisher to just put the ball in the net because there was a lot of good chances created, wasn't there? Paul, let's come on to the defence. Um, it was a little bit shakier yesterday. Uh, the most alarming moment was when Tosin Adrobayo and Marek Rodak collided. How um, Pedro Neto and Pedence didn't score with not just one, but two unbelievable opportunities at that moment was, was kind of miraculous. After that, I kind of thought, well, if they can't score that, I don't see these lot scoring all day because that was a guilt edge chance. And they, they felt, felt very wasteful in front of goal wolves. Yeah. And there, there was a still on Twitter today with, with the, with the wolves forward. And I, I, I cannot understand how he missed so I don't quite know what's going on with whether Tosin isn't calling. Rodak was was you know doing the the signal afterwards about about calling, and obviously we had that incident in the Liverpool game for the second goal as well, with um, where, where kind of um, Ream was turning round and you know questioning a call. So I don't quite know about the communication at the back, which is a little bit worrying, considering it's our you know it's our back five from uh, last season. Yeah, it does feel a bit odd, Farrell, the situation that Fulham have found themselves in. Um, We had several questions on this, but we might as well come to it now, where particularly Ream, Rodak, mostly them two, and Tosin, haven't done an awful lot wrong, as in their mistakes haven't massively cost us goals, maybe the Liverpool second goal aside. It's all going quite well, but it's a bit weird that we have now Bert Leno and Issa Diop on the bench. and and Marco Silva rightly saying that it's it's particularly Tim Ream and Marek Rodak's position to lose, but we have some real quality now into the side, but also it's almost like we're in suspended animation. We're just waiting almost for one of them to make the mistake so they get the chop, which is quite a weird position to be in, but I do respect it in other ways rather than him just going, oh no, that's, that's all right. We signed a better player now, so sling your up, Tim. Yeah, um, we have brought in Issa Diop. We have brought in Bert Leno to challenge those positions and, you know, raise the quality within the squad. And actually what's happening is, is that the people in the in their places are doing a good enough job and are performing quite well, barring some small minor moments here or there. And after Liverpool and after yesterday, I don't feel that they warrant a uh, being dropped and we'll probably see all those three in the same positions come next week at Brentford. I mean, Adam, the person that I think actually probably would warrant being dropped out of the defence is Tosin. I feel like he has made more mistakes than than Reem and Rodak, but obviously we're not going to drop Tosin, which is quite an odd position to be in. It's all just a little bit weird, but look, we asked for reinforcements. We've got reinforcements. We know that the competition is there. And if, if the, if the end result is that everyone ups their game, then so be it, I guess. I think what we're trying to do is encourage a, a comp 
competition for places ethos. And if players are coming in and they're seeing that that's the case, that they can actually fight for their place at Fulham, that's great. Because if we've seen what happens before when players walk into Fulham, they walk straight into the team and they know that their place is completely safe. Ruben Loftus-Cheek. But when that happens and they play week in, week out, and they know that whatever they do, they're not going to get dropped, it really doesn't mean that they're going to be top of their game. I actually think that there was a comment from Marco where he actually said when Issa Diop came in, said it's great because he can play left centre-back and right centre-back. I don't think that he's coming in at right centre-back instead of Tosin, but I think it does keep Tosin on his heels a little bit, just thinking, well, actually, if he can come in either position and we're still looking at other defensive reinforcements, nobody's place in this team, bar Mitrovic, is entirely safe at any point in time. And that is, if we're bringing in the right kind of professionals, exactly how we harbour the best talent because people are continually at the top of their game rather than just safe and relaxed. There's one that's actually quite highlighted at the moment with uh, David Gea. The fact that he was having a bit of an off year a few years ago when Dean Henderson was at at, uh, Sheffield United. And then Dean Henderson came back to Manchester United last year and David Gea was brilliant again last year. And now Dean Henderson's left. The only challenge that David De Gea has for that number one spot is Tom Heaton, surprisingly. And all of a sudden, we're now seeing that David De Gea, famously yesterday, was having a, a very poor performance. And I think that's very indicative of perhaps the squad mentality that we're trying to instill with a better squad and more positions being challenged. Um, you could tell, by the way, listening to the commentary of that game uh, in uh, our car, Farrell, that it was clearly Fulham fans, only Fulham fans, were the only people in the country just <laughs> going like, oh, for the love of God, come on, United. Have <laughs> <laughs> all the teams, come on, raise your game for this one. I don't care if you're crap in every other one, but please. Oh God, Billy the Bee is going to be unbearable when I never to be able to speak to him this week. Uh, we'll come on to that Brentford game. Um, Paul, I felt like uh, the rest of the team, um, Anthony Robinson down the left had another really, really um, strong game. I don't think he put a foot wrong. Two games in a row now where I think we've seen Anthony Robinson um, back to his best. I also thought that Jao Polinia, again, not as effective as he was against Liverpool. I think the yellow card stifled him uh, a little bit, but still... You know, a Rolls-Royce performance for him, particularly in the first half. I'm particularly impressed with those two at the start of the season, Robinson and Bellinia. Mm. Yeah, it, it is a bit bizarre. Someone had said to, to us in April that uh, after two games, you're basic, you're playing your championship team, but a slightly weakened version because Wilson's obviously injured, our best winger. Um, a weaker number 10, but a better number six. But yeah, Robinson, I thought was super. I thought I thought he got a lot of unfair criticism last season, uh, and I always I've always liked him because I think he's so positive, kind of going forward. But I think him and um, Bobby Decoverid are better in the Premiership than they are in the Championship. They just look mm. better players. It, it's um, and I thought some of the the work with um, Harrison Reed, the two reads together you know, and for the penalty and stuff. I thought there were some great little little cameo moments from those two, you know, kind of linking up. But they just look so much more comfortable in the Premier than they do the Championship, which is quite bizarre. You know, whether it's kind of a couple of better players around them or what, I don't know. It is a bit odd, Farrell, isn't it? Bobby Decker-Dover, we were talking yesterday that he, he feels stronger 
at this level that, than at the championship. Obviously, he did so well in that Scott Parker season. Was he our top scorer? I'm pretty sure he was our top yeah. scorer in the end. I mean, it didn't take a lot, um, but still he was our top scorer. Um, I was particularly impressed with him yesterday. Won the penalty as well, um, which was a nearly really nice run and he, and he drew the foul. Um, so yeah, for me, Bobby Deckard over Reed, very comfortable with him at this level. Yeah, absolutely. He, he does. I don't know what it is. Like, um, you know, he has raised his game in the Premier League and probably was our one of our standout performers if there was one in the Premier League last time around, as you said. Um, and what's really good about him that is that he's obviously very versatile. It's strange that he was our top goal scorer when mostly he played at right wing back uh, under the, under Scott Parker uh, a couple yeah. of years ago. And actually, when you think about it, last year, he did start a lot of games, but actually it was no guarantee that he was playing every every week because, you know, we had Harry Wilson on the right, we had Carvalho in the middle, and we had uh, Cabano on the left. And there was a bit of chop and change between uh, Cabano and Bobby Reed for that position, but that was about it really for Bobby Reed. And then into this season, he started really well, and I don't think he's in danger of losing his place anytime soon. Of course, there are injuries in, in his position at the moment, but... You know, if you're looking at that and if you're looking that all of our players are fit and Bobby Reed actually started and we still had Harry Wilson and Mana Solomon to call upon, then I think it would be Cabano that would be dropped, not Bobby Reed. The other side of it, though, is that, again, going back to his versatility, is that we were also talking about Andres Pereira. And I mean, I, t- I spoke about it last week a little bit, but I'm going to mention it again, that I don't think he's performing at the level that we really need. I think he's got all the attributes of a player that fits into this system, that tenacity up top to really help and support Mitro, but he's really, really wasteful on the ball yesterday. And the, and that's, I think it's not really very good for the system. And then we were talking, you know, we spoke about sort of, well, who else do we play in that position? And the only real name that could play that, that position in that style would be Bobby Reed. And I think that's a testament to how well he's played, how well he's got back into the team and is not looking like he's going to be dropped anytime soon. Yeah, Adam, Andreas Pereira was particularly frustrating yesterday. I wasn't wholly convinced by the performance against Liverpool. There were some nice touches. Um, He looks positive. He's bright on the ball. I don't know. He's one of those players that I wouldn't be surprised if someone draws out some stats and pulls up that, what he's doing off the ball is absolutely vital to the way we play. But the eye test at the moment for me is very mixed. I can try and see what he's trying to do. He always is trying the very ambitious ball. It's just not really coming off. And and maybe yesterday against a a well-organized resolute unit like Wolves, they just kind of they just kind of ate it for breakfast, really. Admittedly, it was his pass deflected that led to the penalty, but I that think was really the main positive thing he did in the game. I, I'd agree with you in the fact that I think his final output has not been good enough just yet. I think we're looking at a player who has been given some chances in a Man United team that's always been under pressure. He's always he's never really had the freedom to flourish. And I think he's probably feeling that pressure already at Fulham in that he has to perform from day dot. Now, I still don't think there's, as Farrell said, anyone that could probably fill that position other than Bobby Deck would overread. And we've already got a great place for him in our team. I think that the thing is with Andreas Pereira is that if you give him a run of games, we 
haven't really seen him get that anywhere in the Premier League to actually see what he can do in time. I think we need one player that is always going to try that extra pass or that, you know, the pass that no one else sees. Usually that used to be Tom Kearney, but with no Tom Kearney in the team, we need somebody who's going to try something a little bit different, especially without Harry Wilson, who is often a creator for our team. Now, I think that um, him coming into the, the team this season has been a positive overall. We just aren't seeing him performing maybe at the level that some of, you know, Jao Paulini coming in in the sixth role has really made it harder to make an impact in our team. Because if you're comparing everything to his performances, it's going to look slightly underwhelming. But if we compare him to previous um, maybe loan signings that we've brought in around the same position, he's making a slightly better impact there. I think we can only really judge it after maybe six, seven games. And I think he'll get a run of games at Fulham. Yeah, I'm prepared to give him time. Absolutely. I, I It was such a difficult game yesterday. Everything you almost kind of that you say in, in terms of the, literally the whole performance, you have to put the caveat that it was just roasting and it was just, it was, it was a bitty game. It just, it was, it, it screamed nil nil from the first minute. Um, Paul, obviously Fulham did have the one big opportunity. Bobby Deckard over Reed won the penalty. At first I was like, oh, is that soft? See the replay, a bit similar to the Liverpool game really. And, quite clearly a pen um, and it was a good decision by the referee Mitch Rich on penalties ah, it's, a, it's a difficult one isn't it yeah coming back with Charlie uh, and we kind of looked up uh, that he's missed a third of his penalties in, in professional football um, which is quite a big uh, chunk um, but you know he was successful up to this one I think with his last seven and I think keepers have, have always been fairly near it and I'm, I'm, I must admit, I'm never that confident. But I'm, I'm not sure who else would take a penalty though in that team. You know, I, I don't know. You know, I don't know if Polino has taken penalties. Um, I don't think Pereira has. I, I just going back on the Pereira thing. I just don't see him ever scoring. I don't, I don't know. I, I, that scares me. But yeah, I, I think we need maybe you know if he misses another one, you know. Some, somebody else take a pen. Who, who could take a pen? Uh, I'm just double checking, Paul, that no one, uh, no animal is being slaughtered in the background of your um, <laughs> uh, of, of your conversation there. Yeah, that's that's my wife's parrot. So unfortunately, yeah, and yeah, it is being <laughs> being sacrificed. <laughs> They're trying to chirp in and uh, and yeah. uh, on the conversation about penalty yeah, takers. What the parrot is saying, that Bobby Reed's the best penalty taker in our squad and has never been given one penalty. I think so, something like that, yeah. Um, I did do an article on it um, back in the, uh, during that fateful time where Fulham kept missing penalties and uh, Scott Parker were behind closed doors and the overall research was that Bobby Deckard Overeed has a 100% success record from the spot. But look, Marcus Silva was pretty adamant afterwards that he missed one, he'll take the next one. So I don't think there is any debate that Mitrovic will carry on taking penalties. It was a 50-50 gamble. Saar went the right way and he just put it a little bit too close to him. There's not much more analysis I feel like that's needed. Hopefully it just doesn't spark what we saw last time. Mitrovic missed a couple of big penalties, which is obviously a goal drought, but I'm hoping that one penalty he's made of a bit sterner stuff than that. I know strikers play on confidence, but I think he'll be fine. Yeah. I think Mitrovic will be fine to take the next one. I personally, I think considering that we went through that patch a little while ago with Mitro and penalties again, but he came back stronger. Um, and that's the mark of the person that we're in, Alexander Mitrovic. He's had his low points in his career. 
and obviously the penalty against uh, against Scotland as well to not Cost get them the qualified. Euros. But he comes back, he scores an absolute hatful of goals. He's been brilliant at penalties ever since. And obviously yesterday, it's just one blip. Adam, the rest of the game was a bit of a Wolves bombardment. They brought a lot of uh, players off the bench. Um, Adama Traore, uh, their new signing, uh, Gonzalo Guedes, who looks rubbish. Um, maybe he'll improve, but it was quite an eye-openingly bad debut um, from him. But I thought, I thought Fulham were pretty comfortable in the hole. I was never too convinced that we were going to throw it away late on. There is a dogged determination that I think Fulham can see out a point and hopefully in, in the next few weeks, we can start seeing out three points. I think Fulham do know what to do late on when we're under the cosh. I think so. I think we've set this team up as well in getting a few early points at this point in the season is, is incredibly important. We've we've had a much better start because of that. And I think later on in the season, we might start to see us take a few risks to try and go for the win. At this point in time, when it's as hot a day as it was, it's, as dogged a game as it was, let's just try and grab the point where we can. And it was it was actually really impressive that we could kind of sit back and actually take some pressure. Again, Guedes didn't have the, the best game when he came on. Um, we can all admit that one. But when I saw Adama Traore come on with all the space that they had got down the flanks already, I thought that would honor some more trouble for us. They just didn't have anybody who could finish um, on the day. And if I think, you know, let's say Mitrovic had been on their side, I genuinely think they would have won the game because they would have had someone to put it in the net. It was really the the thing I really liked about Fulham as well is we didn't we didn't look to panic as well. We've often seen some managers just let's just throw on we could have thrown on Shane Duffy at the end, right? But instead some of the substitutions that were made were a little bit more positive. We see the likes of Jay Stanfield coming on to actually try and impact the game in a positive manner rather than saying, let's sit back. We still dealt with the pressure well, but we didn't set ourselves up for failure. Yeah, no, it was a positive end to the game uh, and uh, an encouraging stat. It's the first time since 2010 that Fulham have avoided defeat in their opening two Premier League games. Uh, That was the Mark Hughes season, which when I looked back to find this stat, we actually went the first seven games unbeaten. Admittedly, it was one win and six draws, um, which Hmm. is maybe what we're kind of on target for now. I definitely take it um, if that was uh, on offer. And we finished 10th that season. So that's a deep decent omen um two games unbeaten come on the whites all right we're going to take a break there afterwards we've got some questions to answer another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check planning for what's next and how to save for it that's where bank of america can help for your financial to-dos bank of america has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals get started at one of our local financial centers or 24 7 in our mobile banking app Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. Part two of the Fulhamish podcast is Sammy James here with Farrell Monk, Adam Fakarson and Paul Cooper making his debut with Sid as the parrot in the background as well, uh, chirping in uh, with some of his opinions on yesterday's match as well. Um, I, I like that the name Sid is uh, surely named after the great Steve Sidwell, Paul. Of course, absolutely. Yeah. 
He's a he's a ginger parrot. <laughs> <laughs> the ginger and Esther of the parrot world. Uh, let's come on to some of your questions. Uh, Charlie Mitchell asks, uh, I'll start with you, Farrell, on this one. Does it make it harder to attract top players who are looking for game time if we sign Leno and then keep him on the bench for weeks? I think it's a good question to ask. I think that the players are smart enough to sort of do their research on Fulham anyway beforehand. I think that specific situation where the, it's Burnt Leno and Marek Rodak, yeah, I, I think that Burnt Leno was probably feeling a slight bit aggrieved, but he's probably been in this situation before and knows he's got to be a top professional uh, beforehand. And I think any other player um, would be doing exactly the same thing, that they you know, they might feel that they're, they're going to be able to uh, get into the first team if they're if they're strong enough and they perform uh, at a level expected of them, do we think this is a a play to potentially keep Rodak as well? Because if we think about this, like if if Marek Rodak stays, you know, keeping his place until the transfer window closes, and then they're replacing with Burnt Leno, we actually have a a better backup keeper than Gazaniga potentially coming in. Whereas if immediately Rodak's replaced, we know from his comments as well, he's probably just going to get up and leave, and we would be left with a slightly worse backup keeper. So it's actually pretty smart, whilst he's not making too many mistakes to keep him in the team, keep him happy because he's a better squad player for us to have. Yeah. And also he just hasn't lost his place. Uh, we've got a good um, one here. It's not really a question from Jakob, but it's a good point to bring it in in our Fulhamish community where he says on Rodak, um, why do people think it's okay to keep pushing for him to be dropped when he's played really well in both games so far, kept us in the game uh, in the early stages yesterday and has done literally nothing wrong. I fully agree. And I don't think Bert Leno is going to be there like, oh, what's going on here? Again, Farrell, you mentioned that he's a professional. He's come in and, and I don't think would be arrogant enough to just be like, I'm coming in and I'm just number one. You know, you're coming into a club where there was an incumbent number one who had an okay-ish season last year. Yes, didn't set the world alight in goal. But I, I think Bert Leno is big enough and old enough and ugly enough to, uh, oh God, sorry, I can't say ugly enough after uh, the podcast <laughs> last week, can I? Um, it was a turn of phrase, um, but... Uh, <laughs> I think he's old enough and wise enough to realise that um, that's the situation. I'm, I'm confident he probably will break through by the end of the season. It, it feels inevitable. But right now, when Rodak's playing well, he has to keep the gloves. Um, we'll see what Leno uh, produces against Crawley Town, no doubt, in the Carabao Cup, which I'm, um, I'm very excited for as a, as a Horsham lad. Stephen Watson, Adam says, who the hell were all those crosses to? No one was even in the box. Has hints of Parker. It was infuriating yesterday. A few of the crosses that came in. Mitra, I think, actually potentially taking a bit of blame as well, because there's a few that got put in. Yes, I think there were mostly poor crosses, but Mitra was sometimes a bit sluggish to get into the box as well. I felt like our attacking play, um, if you compare it to last season, um, was, was extremely diminished. And we're just missing those key players, aren't we? To lose Wilson, to lose Solomon, and obviously to lose Carvalho in the way we did. It is such a huge blow to this side and its attacking potential. Yeah, for sure. I think what's happened by losing, you know, Wilson and even the option of having Solomon is that more of the attacking onus has actually fallen on our wingbacks. Now, our wingbacks have great crossing ability, but maybe actually the decision making is where it can struggle a little bit, you know, knowing to wait until Mitrovic is in the box and having that telepathy that, you know, Wilson seemed to have with Mitrovic to just know exactly where he was going to be at points in time, knowing that he's maybe not the fastest player. He's not going to be in the box as soon as you put in your first time cross. 
I totally agree with the question. Where were those crosses going to? Taking a look up, you'd see that there's no one in the box. Let's try and wait it out. Um, but I think that's largely happened because we've got more inside wingers. You know, Cabano's largely cutting in the same thing with Deckard over Reed. They're not the ones putting in crosses. It's it's largely falling on fullbacks um, who, as I said, just don't have that in their locker just yet to be able to know where Mitrovic is. I still think that will come in time. And you might even get some, you know, late runs from Harrison Reed and others coming into the box. But we don't we don't throw players forward like no one's business like we did last season, which was great to see. But whilst we're being a little bit more defensive, throwing crosses in the box is only uh, only going to lead to the opposition getting the ball back and it flooding into our penalty area, which we want to avoid. Paul Dara in our Fulhamish community asks, we didn't make our first substitute until the 83rd minute. Given the heat, do you think Marco should have made some before this? Was he waiting for Large to make the first move or did we just not have enough on the bench to change the game? It was surprising because I was expecting a substitute in the 60th-ish minute, particularly players with Andreas Pereira just visibly struggling. Cabano looked knackered. Um, it, it, I found it, but I also wondered, was Marcus Silva trying to make a point here? Yeah, p- possibly. I mean, uh, the comment around me and everyone, you know, we, we were basically saying, why isn't Kearney on for uh, Pereira? Uh, and in the end, of course, it, it was a, a force change and he came off injured. So, and I don't quite know what the injury's like. It looked, it looked pretty nasty. He was, you know, hobbling away. Um, and also Tete was was clearly absolutely, you know, gassed. And um, so I was surprised that that didn't materialise till later on. So, yeah, um, I, I think definitely by putting on, I think his, he was making his point really when he put on uh, Francoise and, uh, and Stansfield. And I thought Stansfield actually played pretty well when he came on. I think that was the comment. Yeah. You couldn't see that happening through the whole of last season you'd be amazed let alone in the in the premiership I thought that was quite surreal yeah I mean we didn't see Stansfield really at all last year apart from in the cups and then suddenly we're in the Premier League and and he's coming on as a substitute I mean great I thought he actually uh, looked quite bright quite positive when we came on um Aaron Lamb in our community um asked what did you make of Stansfield when we when he came on um Azim Yosk asked is there a place for him long term in the squad I'd like to hope there is I don't see any reason particularly with so many subs that Jay Stansfield can't make a bit of a role he's grown a little bit as well I feel like he's he seems a bit more likely to to cope physically than when I saw him um, I remember watching him in the Carabao Cup against Leeds last season and thinking, God, you're small. He's he's not going to be, you know, he's never going to replace Mitrovic as, you know, our, our target man necessarily. But I do think there's a place for him in games. We've, we've also seen, you know, from last season, even looking back to the times where Marco would sometimes struggle a little bit to when we're, when we're not getting ahead in games, how can we make an impact or bring on Rodrigo Meniz? Now, I love him. But at the same time, two up top doesn't really work for Fulham if they're both a target man player. Now, if you bring on someone like Stansfield, you know, at the, this point in time as a second striker, he's one of the better options that we have at the club. If you put him out wide, he seems to do incredibly well. And I actually think that having one player that's always pushing the starting lineup from from the youth teams is, is a great thing because otherwise you we've seen the situation before with Harvey Elliott, with Fabio Carvalho, where they probably look at 
you know, how often have Fulham kept these players? How often have they given them opportunities in the Premier League? Now we're finally able to say, well, if we do give Stansfield the regular opportunities, there is actually a path through to the first team. I think he warrants his place, not just because he's young, but he he clearly has ability. Um, so I think bringing him on later in games, the five sub rule will benefit him no no ends because he's not going to be held up by saying, oh, they've already made their three. I'm never going to get on the pitch here. I think towards the end of games, giving him 10 minutes um, is regularly going to be a good thing for Fulham. Yeah, interesting one. Tim actually said in our Fulhamish community in response to um, Stansfield and Francois playing, he said that um, he had to play Stansfield and Francois because they have so few players, which does very much sound like he's pushing Tony for those signings. Farrell, there has been some chatter about who Fulham will bring in. Now we know that Solomon's picked up this injury. Wilson's got quite a long-term injury. Um, obviously there's talk about uh, Justin Cliver, but also rumours about Willian. At first I thought that was a done deal at one point last week. It now seems a little bit more um, in the air than it was. I mean, it's a no brainer really for me. He's bringing in someone like Willian. Yes, he's 34. Yes, he's kind of been weirdly hounded out of his current club in Brazil by the fans, but you just need someone that can that can do a job. A Ryan Babel. It's 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 a kind of Ryan Babel signing, isn't it? Yes, he might be a bit old and past it for the for the top six, but if he can come on, be a silky winger that can change a game coming on, I'd be more than happy if in yesterday's game, Fulham had trotted off Willian off the bench for the final twenty five minutes. Yeah, I mean, it pains me to to say this out loud, but you know, he was probably one of my favourite players when he you know, at Chelsea, I know that's kind of disgusting to say, but you know, he, he was pretty, pretty good for them. And I, I quite liked him as a player, not who he played for. That's for sure. Um, I think, yeah, I think it does make sense to the signing. If we can get him on a short-term deal that doesn't cost us a lot of money, he does bring a bit more experience into the, into the, um, into the changing room as a winner, certainly at this level. He's also really versatile as well. He can probably play, in any of the sort of midfield positions, he could probably do that job alongside Mitro. Yes, he's probably lost a bit of his uh, athletic ability, but he's got the ability. He's got the the know how and the nous to sort of make up for any sort of pace that he's that he's now lacking. A few weeks ago, before these injury problems, I probably would have questioned that decision. But right now, I think it's certainly something that we do need to plug the gap with because. Ending the game with Tyrese Francois playing at left wing is probably highlighting where the squad is at right now, and it's looking very paper thin. I would much prefer I would much prefer to have been able to bring on Willian at left wing as opposed to Tyrese Francois. Fulham and Wolves is first eleven right now, considering they're lacking a striker. It's not an awful lot between it. Quality-wise, yes, I think Wolves have got a bit more Premier League experience in there, but you only had to look at the options they could bring off the bench. Players like Nelson Semedo, Adama Traore, their new signing, Gonzalo Guedes. Yes, he looked pony, but I'm sure he'll improve and he's obviously an expensive player. Now with five subs as well, I think depth and and quality on the subs bench is so much more important. And you can promise players more game time because of those five subs as well. So fingers crossed, it's an enforced situation to not just lose one but two of your best wingers is is a really difficult situation hopefully Fulham can fix it feels like Wilson won't be like the too longer injury but Mana Solomon I don't think we're seeing him this side of the World Cup you know if he's having knee surgery that is a long-term injury I mean really wish him well as well what a 
gutting situation for, for him just as he's got to England. So fingers crossed. Get someone in temporary. William sounds fine to me, but there must be some other, must be some other wingers just down the local park or something like that. There's always a tricky winger, isn't there? Whenever you play five a side that can, that can do a job. Um, Farrell and I used to play with a winger called Peanut, who was the most frustrating player to play with, but he was a great, it was a tricky winger. I'm sure he'd, he'd fill in, wouldn't he? Uh, for, uh, for three months, Farrell, uh, Peanut on the left wing. Uh, oh yeah, that would be quite, that would be quite funny. He used to, we used to call him one in 10 Peanut because that's how many chances he would convert like that's how many chances he would create and then subsequently actually score what an enigma yeah. he was where are you peanut well he might be he might be at motspur park if uh, if i get my way anyway uh we'll take a break there afterwards we're going to look at rest of the states the premier league Part three of the Fulhamish podcast. Sammy here with Farrell, Adam and Paul. Uh, just wanted to have a bit of a look of a wider state of play uh, of where Fulham are. Um, Adam, uh, currently in 12th position. I know it doesn't matter, but two draws from two. Currently the only side to have done that. Uh, this is before Liverpool's game against Palace. If they draw, they'll be the other side uh, that could potentially be on two from two. And it's a bit of an odd situation, isn't it? When you've, when you've drawn your two opening games, especially in the situation that they've happened for Fulham, where... We've had opportunities to, to win both of them. Obviously, in the Liverpool game, we were leading with 10 minutes to go. Yesterday, we had a penalty with approximately 10 minutes to go. But also, especially given the stats I named earlier, haven't lost our opening two games as well. Feels positive. I just don't know what to make of it. But I think overall, it's fine. A lot of it almost rests on the game against Brentford because you win that and that's a brilliant oh. start. Lose it and suddenly, uh, you know, you thinking, looking over your shoulder, wondering that Bournemouth and Forest have both won games and we haven't. And also, you don't have to look at the fixture list ahead and think, I'm not sure where our first win's coming from if it isn't against Brentford. Oh, you mentioned Brentford. My stomach just did a flip. It's not great, is it? Just when, when you know, as you say, the, the pressure is really on this game, but it could have been much worse. We always have to remember Fulham could have lost the first two. Been looking at the Brentford game as a must win. We're looking at this saying... You know, if yes, I'd love to get a win out of this game. Don't get me wrong. I know that there's a lot of games coming up, but it took us a long time to get to this point uh, in previous Premier League seasons. And I think that starting it in a steady eddy format that we are isn't the worst thing in the world because you get some of these other teams where, you know, it's the hope that kills you. They'll be looking at it thinking, yeah, we're, we're all on the up. We've, we've beat these teams. It's all going to be plain sailing from here. Whereas I think Fulham are building from a strong base foundation and... Brentford is going to be a massive game. If we if we can win that one, we really jump up the table. But I'm also a little bit more careful knowing that at least we have two points on the board. If it was if it was zero points at this point in time, I'd be very scared about that Brentford game. Yeah, Farrell, Brentford up next. Um, it's such a good result yesterday. You can't even take it away from them. Like it's 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 an amazing performance by them. Yes, United are an absolute bin fire, but. Um, just going to be a really, really difficult game, isn't it? And and they're looking good this season, despite losing Ericsson. They they seem to be better, and and Damsgaard's such a a clever signing as well that they've got to add to their squad later on. I mean, clever signing is basically their mantra, isn't it? Over the past clever five or six FC, years, yeah. yeah. Um, and that's the thing. Like we 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 look at Brentford, we don't like them, but we sort of envy how they've got to the position that they have and I'm not talking about the the Lego stadium by any by any means. Um let's call it the G Tech now, Farrell. That's its name. The, the G Tech Stadium. Oh yes. okay. Um I, have we have we signed a contract with them or something to No, they've signed a contract with them. Oh okay, all right, okay. I'm I'm not it's gonna the, call it the G Tech. I'm still gonna call it the Lego Stadium. Um 
And yeah, and yeah, it's definitely the one that we were looking to win. Now this is this is no again. We're getting to the point where we need we need a, a win on the board suddenly to sort of give ourselves a nice little platform because as Adam quite rightly just said previously it took us so long to get our first win and you're already you know on the back foot massively and you know then the nerves start happening then the crowd starts getting on the back the only problem is is that Brentford have a really good record at Craven Cottage in recent years and it's it's a it's so annoying i wish it was i wish it was qpr that we're playing next that would be <laughs> that would be nice but it's not it's brentford they're going to be coming at us they this is the game that they've been looking forward to ever since fulham confirmed promotion last year um and it's going to be it's going to be a really i think it's going to be a really good game i think that marco knows what's riding on this game now he got them fired up massively for that liverpool game which was you know, a little bit like like so pleasantly surprising. It yesterday was um, you know, we went toe to toe with what is now a, an established Premier League club, um, with, you know, a squad uh a squad depth that, you know, we're we're looking at very enviously. Um next week I've got no I've got no doubts Marco will be saying to the players the the sort of um the level that we need to be at to get a, to get a result from this. Uh, I'm looking forward to it, to be honest. I won't be there annoyingly, but I'm certainly looking forward to it uh, to be able to watch it really. Yeah. And um, Paul, if you had to give Fulham a, a mark out of 10 for these opening two games, what, what, what would you, uh, what would you give? Cause I, I'm a bit on the fence with it because I think we've played well in parts. The Liverpool game was amazing. Two points out of six is kind of fine, but could be a bit better, you know? Probably an eight for the Liverpool game and about a six, I think, yesterday. So average of about seven. Yeah, well, we'll see what happens uh, in that game against Brentford. Uh, we'll have a full preview on the Thursday club uh, with myself, Jack and Peter. Adam, all we need to do is name today's podcast. So what would you like to go for from the three word reviews that came in? I'm going to go for Hutchie 100 with everyone's on fire, just because you never want to forget those <laughs> flamethrowers. Honestly, they will be rent-free inside my head for a long time. All of this week, basically until I think it cools down, I'm still feeling the radiation um, that came off of those yesterday. Um, it was the most intense heat ever, but we got through it. We got a point. We came away from Wolves still unbeaten. Uh, the dream of an invincible season for Fulham is still on. Thank you very much to my panel today, all dressed in white. The White Wall Volume 2. Farrell Monk, thank you. Thank you. Adam Vercarson, thank you. Thanks so much, Sammy. Paul Cooper, thank you. Yep, thank you. And here's the next generation. So Come on, up to Fulham. (laughs) (laughs) I love that in the Black Away kit from last season. What was the one's name? Jack. Jack. Future podcast host I see there. (laughs) (laughs) He's a lefty, yeah. So yeah. Who's Jack's favourite player? Who's your favourite player, Jack? You can't actually speak yet, but Retro, they're well done. (laughs) 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 All right, then. Well, thank you very much for listening today. Have a great start to your week. Fulham is still unbeaten. Got to take the positives. But until the Thursday club, have a good one. Come on, you whites. You whites. You whites.